Joshua chapter 24, and wasn't that special for Mrs. Lynch and my wife? They did such a good job. Brother Russell, thank you for all you do in the piano there as well. And I, I'm excited about hearing the choir sing next week. They stood out in the cold, Miss, Mrs. De La O, stood out in the cold for two hours yesterday practicing. And so I'm excited about hearing them sing. I appreciate you choir members doing that. And uh, I, I'm excited about what God's going to do through you next weekend on on Saturday and Sunday. Also, uh, next Saturday, next Sunday morning, we have our normal two services, 8, 30, and 11. And those are going to be different. Uh, those, those services are going to be different from the 5 o'clock. And so I hope you come to that as well and invite people if they'd like to come to church on Christmas. All right, Joshua chapter number 24. If you go to verse 14 of Joshua chapter 24, our series, Home for Christmas, uh, has really uh, just given me this thought in my mind that everybody likes and everybody wants to be home for Christmas. Last week, we talked about Jesus coming as a baby, and we talked about the fact this was the greatest homecoming ever, and Him coming home will allow us someday to go with Him to our home, our eternal home. And I'll be looking forward to that day, amen? And so today, I want to preach a message on the home, and my title of the message is, Home is Where the Heart Is. Look at verse 14 of Joshua 24. It says, Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Why don't we read that phrase together, but as for me. Ready, begin. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua says you need to choose, just like that song, I have decided to follow Jesus. Just like that song we sang, who is on the Lord's side? We need to make our choice. All of us in the room this morning, we long for that warm, loving, peaceful place called home. There's just something about being home for Christmas. I remember Christmas growing up. It was always a special time for our family. And of course, my parents are in the room today. And when I was a young person, Christmas was always special. We always got the tree out and we always had those special decorations, you know, like something I did when I was in kindergarten. How many know what I'm talking about? All the special decorations and, and we got all those things. My dad always tried to put up Christmas lights. It was always a special time of year. We didn't always have uh, a ton of money, but there was always something under the tree. And it was just a wonderful time being home for Christmas. The saying goes, Home is where the heart is. I began to think about that phrase and to consider what it means. What does it mean? Home is where the heart is. I suppose that it could mean many different things. For instance, it could mean that no matter where you live, physically, no matter where you are, home is where your family is, where your heart is. And as long as your family's there, as long as your loved ones are there, that could be considered home. That's one interpretation. Someone might say, well, uh, it, it means that home is where my heart is. I love home so much. I, I love my family so much that that's where my heart is, is in my home. And no matter how you interpret it, it is true that home is where the heart is. And then I began to think about this phrase and I began to think about this convicting thought. This home that I long for, this home that I want my family to love, this home that is warm and peaceful and joyful, this home is my responsibility. 
You see, a home where your heart wants to be doesn't happen on accident. If you want to have a home where the heart wants to be, there's going to be some convictions and some things that we have to do. Is my home where my heart is? Is my heart in my home? In other words, am I investing my heart into my home? And I ask you the same question today. Is your heart in your home? Let's pray today and ask God for his help in this message today. Father, once again, and one last time, Lord, I come before you and ask for your help for this message. Lord, I cannot preach this on my own. I need your help today. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd work in each and every heart. Lord, maybe there is somebody here who came into church and, Lord, maybe they've been in church their whole life. Maybe this is the first time they've been in a church like this. And as they sit here, they don't know for sure if heaven is their home. If they were to die today, they have no idea where their soul would go. I pray that today they would accept you as their Savior and trust in you for salvation. For those of us, Lord, that are here today that know for sure we're saved, we're on our way to heaven. God, I pray that you would work in our hearts and in our homes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I recognize uh, for many today in this room and maybe many across our country today that our homes uh, go through things. They go through trials and they go through testing and they go through all of these different things. And, And indeed, some homes do struggle. And I don't believe today that it's for a lack of money or anything like that. Most of us in the room recognize that even in our poor homes that would be considered poor in America is not really poor, if you really think about it. We have all the toys and all the goods and all the wonderful things. We have, we have electronics. Most, TV, most, most uh, homes today have multiple televisions and, and all kinds of different things and food in the refrigerator. And all God's people said... Amen. If, if anything else, we have in and out and there's nothing to complain about, really. All I'm trying to say is I don't think that homes are in trouble today for necessarily the lack of things, although there might be some, some specific scenarios where people might be struggling in that way. But I think most homes today are not struggling because they don't have enough uh, things and don't have enough uh, things to make them happy. I think that most homes today are struggling because there is no heart in the home. Teenagers are on their devices. Parents are on their devices. We're wrapped up in work. And I'm not preaching at you yet. I will in just a minute. We're all in this boat together. Commute, job. Some of you guys, some of you men, ladies, you're so busy right now. I want you to know I'm praying for you. <laughs> this has been a crazy year. People out because of COVID and you know, 100 people not showing up for work. I don't know how you're doing it. I'm praying for you. I'm not preaching at you that way. All I'm saying is this. A lot of homes are struggling because our hearts aren't in it. Our hearts aren't in it. And may I say today, if we want to have a home where our kids say, I want to be there, and our wife and our husband say, I want to be home with you. If we want to have a home like that, then there's some convictions that we need to have. How many of you remember when you first left home? How many remember those days? I remember those days. Some of you are still live in your mom's basement, but how many remember? I'm just teasing. How many remember when you first left? I'm just kidding. I, I, I still live with my in-laws, so it's all right. Uh, uh, how, many of you, how many of you remember those days you first left home, right? You remember that? And uh, you left home, and you went to college, and boy, things were great. And uh, you thought, man, I'm going to come back home, and it's going to be exciting, and it's going to be awesome. And then you come back home from college, and how do you feel? Things are different. It's a little bit different. Of course, it might be because your mom painted the room pink and moved a treadmill in there. But you come home, it's just not the same. But we all have that longing to be where? 
We all want to be home. We have that longing for that peaceful place, that restful place. God puts that longing in us. If that's the case, then why are so many homes in complete disarray? Why are so many homes falling apart today? Before I get into the message, just as a side note, I want you to remember something. Satan hates your home and your marriage. He's going to do everything he can. Some parents, some people and marriages and parents and families, they get so worked up and they blame everything else. Don't forget that you have a spiritual enemy working and plotting against your home. Husbands and wives, sometimes it's not just about the money. Sometimes Satan's trying to drive a wedge between you. And so take time to remember you have a spiritual enemy. That's beside the point. Let's get back to the message. Is it possible in today's culture, is it possible in 2020 to have a home where the heart wants to be? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. I see here in this passage several things that God convicted my heart about, several things that I believe are the key to not just having a good home, but having a home where the heart wants to be. And don't forget that God doesn't use perfect people. So before you stop and say, well, I'm not listening because, I mean, our family's dysfunctional. Can I just give you a thought here? Every family's dysfunctional at some level. <laughs> Amen. I mean, look at Brother Asprella. No, I'm just kidding. Every family's dysfunctional at some level. And so don't look across the aisle and say, well, if I had a husband like him, or if I had a wife like her, or if I had kids like those, you don't know what's going on in that home. Every home, God doesn't use perfect people. There are no perfect people. How many of you parents will admit right now you're not a perfect parent? Amen. I'm not a perfect parent. My wife is not. Well, she is. But, but moving on here. We're not perfect. God doesn't use perfect people. And so any family can learn to do these three things today. Any family can, no matter how dysfunctional you think you might be. So the first thing I see here, if you're taking notes, the first and most important thing out of verse 15 is we must make a choice. We must make a choice. If you want to have a home where the heart wants to be, there's some choices you're going to have to make. Look at verse 15. Look at what Joshua says. If it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve. Joshua has been put in charge of leading the children of Israel into the promised land. So far, so good. Joshua is a military genius. He's, with God's help, he's conquering nations with the people. He's dividing the land the way that God told him to. And so far, things are going well. However, Joshua hasn't forgotten about Israel's sketchy past. Remember, they lived in, in Egypt for 400 years. They had picked up some bad habits. And also before that, they had picked up some bad habits. So yes, things are going well, but Joshua stops here and he says, listen, there's some things that we need to talk about. And he says this, he says, Says, I know there, our fathers served uh, the gods of the Ammonites and our fathers got wrapped up in some things in Egypt. And how many of us today in this room, when we live in this world, we pick up bad habits. Sometimes we bring those bad habits into our homes. And so Joshua is challenging the nation of Israel. He's saying, listen, if it seems evil unto you, if it seems like it's not a good idea, if it seems like it's not a good thing to serve the Lord, then make your choice. Decide who you're going to serve. And what that teaches you and it teaches me is to recognize today that we are serving something. And we are serving someone. We have to make our choice. You're going to serve something. And these people thousands of years ago needed to make their choice and we need to make our choice in 2020. And may I just say that 2020 is no less difficult than it was in Joshua's day. 
The gods of Egypt are no less appealing than the gods of today are appealing. The goods of Egypt are no less tempting than the goods of 2020. The grandeur of Egypt was no less magnificent than the grandeur of today. They were, they were struggling with what was in Egypt. Remember them asking, I can't imagine this, Brother Renison. We miss the leeks and the garlic and the onions. Can you imagine your kids saying that to you, moms? Mom, I just miss the leeks. Where are the leeks, mom? Can you imagine if they had in and out in Egypt? They would have never left. They would have stayed there. Oh, we are. We, we, today is just as difficult to choose who you're going to serve. I know dads in the room, you're faced with this choice every day. Moms, you're faced with this choice every day. Young people are faced with this choice. Who are you going to serve? It's hard to make these decisions. Why? Why is it so difficult? Letter A. Well, it's difficult to make the choice because it takes courage. It takes courage. I said it takes courage. And all God's people said, if you're going to choose to serve the Lord, Kalik, it's going to take courage. It's going to take courage. Brother DeLuna, if we're going to serve God, it's going to take courage. It takes courage. We're faced with a choice every single week of our life. Every single day that we get out of bed, we're faced with the choice of who we're going to serve. Take your Bibles and go to Joshua chapter number one. Joshua chapter number one. I was reading this passage and I was thinking to myself, Man, Joshua, he had some guts. Here's this guy. I mean, he's, Brother Russell, he stands up in front of his peers, and he says, basically, in, in today's vernacular, I don't care what y'all going to do. I'm serving the Lord. I know that was a little bit too much vernacular, but that's what he said, basically. Look at Joshua chapter number 1. And I think to myself, where does Joshua get the courage? Look at Joshua chapter 1. Look at verse 6 with me. God says to Joshua, be strong. And of a what, church? Good courage. For unto this people thou shalt divide inheritance of the land, and I swear unto thy fathers. Look at verse 7. Only be thou what? Strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe and do according to all the law, which Moses, my servant, commanded thee. And then he warns him. He says, turn not from the right or the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. I love Joshua chapter number 1, verse 8. That's a wonderful verse. You should memorize it. Look at Joshua chapter number 1, verse 9. Have I not commanded thee, be what? Strong and of a what? Good courage. Several times here in this chapter, God says to Joshua, be courageous. See, Joshua had these guts. And do you know where he got these guts from? Do you know where he got this, this gumption from? Here's why. Because when he stood up in front of the nation of Israel and said, he said, basically, I don't care what you guys are going to do. You need to make your choice. But as for me and my house, we're serving the Lord. Do you know where he got that from? He got that courage from God in chapter number one. Because God said, Joshua, if you decide, if you choose me, if you don't turn from the right or from the left, it's not going to be easy. But if you choose me, I got your back, Joshua. I got your back. Joshua got his courage from God. How many parents today say, I need courage? How many parents today say, I need God's help? I don't know about you. Listen, I'm raising teenagers right now. You try raising a teenager in 2020. This messed up world. Some of you have adult children. I've heard it's harder to have adult children than teenagers. That's what people tell me. It's this messed up world. We need God's help. Amen. All God's people said, amen. God, we need your help. I remember when I was training for the police department, the extra sheriff's office in Arizona. And we had this thing called, uh, called defensive tactics. Anybody here in law enforcement 
Anybody ever been in law enforcement? Nobody? Defensive tactics. You say, what was, that's a fancy word for you're going to get beat up for like an hour every day. And so we had several guys in the academy there, and we had this one drill. And what they were trying to do is they're trying to get us used to literally being beat up and just keep going. If you get hit or something, just keep going. And so I didn't realize I was signing up for this. But anyway, I, uh, I, I uh, showed up for that practice, and, and, and I'll never forget, they lined us all up facing each other. We didn't know what was going on. And the sergeant says, okay, here's the drill. He said, you face each other. And the sergeant said, I'm going to stand behind one of you, and I'm going to lift up my arm. And when I lift up my arm, the person that can see me is going to punch the person that can't see me. And the person that can't see me needs to block it, okay? Pretty simple drill. So we're standing there, and he goes, all right, we're going to start at 10%. So he raises his hand, and the guy, and every, each, whatever hand he raises, it's the hand you're supposed to punch him with. And so he raises his right hand, the guy throws a right punch, and you're supposed to block it. And he raises his left hand, the guy throws the left, supposed to block it. And you're supposed to start at this with your hands right here, because you can't walk around the jail like this as a police officer, right? So you've got to start with your hands here. And so you have to be fast enough to block it. Well, it goes 20%, 30%, for all the way up to 100%. And then here's what the sergeant said. He said, if you don't throw a punch at 100%, he goes, then I'm going to do it. And nobody wanted that. And I'll never forget, they're going through the line, and uh, we're blocking it. Sometimes you're getting hit, blocking it. We had gloves on, don't worry. And uh, I'm standing there, and here comes this guy. And I'm not kidding you. How many know who Brother Branley is? Anybody know who Brother Branley? If you don't know who Brother Branley is, just think of Mr. Clean uh, <laughs> on steroids, amen? And uh, Brother Branley's a man in our church. I mean, he's a big guy. And this guy, and uh, his last name was, I hope he doesn't ever watch this. His last name was Nakayama. And Nakayama was a boxer. Nakayama, he was, this is how tough he was. At age 18, he started his own company repossessing vehicles. This guy was nuts. And so we're standing in this line, and I'm thinking, here he comes. He's going he's gonna to kill me. I mean, look at me. And here he comes to this line, and sure enough, the way we start off, and we're, I'm trying to block him, and he's just wailing on me. And one time, I mean, and then, and then, because it's not just this the whole time, it's this. I mean, and you're just kind of trying to stay alive. And so, and then, and then what happened was, I mean, I don't know exactly what happened. All I know is I woke up a few minutes later. He knocked me out. I mean, he hit me so hard in the jaw, I, I was lights out. I just remember waking up, the room was spinning, and everyone was clapping for me. Good job, Delzel. I'm like, what are you talking about? What happened? You know, I just, you know, I didn't like getting hit, but I'll tell you what I did like. I liked having Nakayama on my shift. Because when we showed up, we need, I needed help, he was behind me. How many know what I'm talking about? I had backup. Let me just say something to you this morning. When you follow God and you make the choice to serve him, he's got your back. He's got your back. The decision might be painful. The decision might hurt a little bit to follow him, but he has your back. One of the reasons why Christians go week after week making the same mistakes and never grow is because of fear. They're afraid. They're afraid they're going to give up something that makes them happy. They're afraid they're going to give up something they think that they need. They're afraid they're going to take a stand and they're going to suffer for it. But may I just say that when you... Give that fear to God and say, God, I'm going to make the decision. He has your back. He has your back. Job made a choice. I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. Moses made a choice to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy pleasure 
of sin for a season. Abraham made a choice to follow God even though he didn't know where he was going. David made a choice to pick a fight with a guy he knew he couldn't win without God. Solomon made a choice to finish his dad's temple. Daniel made a choice to pray to God no matter what the consequences. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, no, it doesn't even matter if God doesn't deliver us. We will not bow. They made a choice. Paul made a choice on the road to Damascus to denounce everything he'd ever been taught and to follow Christ. Peter made a choice that even after he messed up, he was going to feed the Lord's sheep. You see, all of us have a choice to make. I don't know what your choice is, but I know this. It's going to take courage. But if you do it, God's got your back. Why us? It's hard because it takes courage, but also let it be. These choices are hard because it takes change. It takes change. I heard people say sometimes, nobody likes change, Pastor. No, that's not true. Everybody likes change. Go buy a new car. See if you like it. Amen? <laughs> it just depends on what kind of change. Amen? But most Christians have a hard time seeing the need for change in their own life. Indifference, apathy, coldness towards God, indecision. These are all markers of a lot of Christians today. Many times I've uh, gone to hand someone a track or a, a flyer, like Brother Asperly was talking about, go to hand them. And a lot of times they respond, I'm good. I'm good. The sentiment is, I'm good. I don't need God. What are you talking about? My life is great. I don't need God. I don't need church. I, I don't need to go to your church. I don't need Christmas. I don't need that stuff. That's the sentiment. Christ chides the church in Laodicea for this, this, this heart, this apathetic heart. Matter of fact, the church kind of got a bad name, the Laodicean church. Revelation chapter number three, verse 15, Christ says, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. And I would, and I would, uh, that thou wert cold or hot. I want you to be either, make your decision is what he's saying. Choose. So then become, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. He says, no, Christians, listen. No, 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 that's not the Christian home. No, that's not the way our home should be. We should not have lukewarm homes that are just so-so about Christ, just so-so about the things of God. No, 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 we need to make our decision who we're going to serve. Let's not be ho-hum about Christ. Let's not be ho-hum about our Bible. Let's not be ho-hum about prayer time. And listen, I know we all make mistakes, and sometimes we allow things to get in the way. I understand. But we need to get back to having a passion for God again in our homes. If you want to have a home where the heart wants to be, then you need to make some decisions. Joshua chose to serve the Lord also. He didn't just choose it personally, but he says this. He says, as for me and my what? He not only made the decision for himself, but also, and if we're going to do this, we must make a coalition in our home, a coalition. Now, of course, I'm talking to married couples, and you might be a single parent in the room today. But there ought to be coalition in the home. There ought to be agreement in the home, harmony in the home. Listen, if you have a house that's constantly divided and angry, your kids are not, their heart's not going to be there. They're not going to want to be there. And all God's people said, I know that's a convicting statement. And we all have our spats. Listen, I've yelled at the dog before. Don't get me wrong. And when we get upset, I'm talking about the dog, not my kids now. I actually yelled at my dog, Marshmallow. Because he drives me crazy. I tried to put him in the cage the other day. This guy, I, I, I got him a treat, good treat too. I'm talking about T-bone steak treat. I'm talking, he was excited. And here's what he did to me. I opened the door. I put the treat. We, we always do the same thing. Crate goes in, his, goes in his thing. And I put it in there. Boy, he starts munching on that. And I bend over to get his, his bowl to get him some dog food. And he sneaks behind me back out. Then he won't go back. And he's standing over off in the distance. And he's looking at me like this. 
That's why I yell at the dog sometimes. I'm a, I understand that. We all, we all get that way. But listen, a house divided against itself cannot stand. What happens when there's no agreement? What happens when we are divided? We cannot allow our homes to become that way. There must be a way for us to find harmony in the home. And all God's people said, there has to be harmony. There has to. And remember what I said, the devil is not for you. He's going to do everything he can to create disharmony in the home. How do we make this happen? I'm going to give you some biblical truth today that might be a a little bit of a hard pill to swallow, but I promise you, first of all, it's biblical. And number two, if you'll listen, it's helpful. Letter A here, if we want to have that kind of harmony in the home, if we want to have a coalition, then it's going to take cooperation from everyone. Cooperation. Teenagers, teenagers, you have to cooperate with your parents. And all the teenagers said, (laughs) (laughs) all right, good. No, no, there has to be cooperation. A home worthy of our heart is a home that's harmonious. We must learn to walk together in agreement in our homes. By the way, God has ordained men to be the head of their home if it's a married couple. God has ordained that. God has ordained the man to be the head. Doesn't say God doesn't say that man is the dictator in the home or the emperor of the home. No, he's the head. What does the head do? It eats. Amen. Yeah. It cares for the body. The head feels the pain. It senses the pain. It watches out for the body. It takes care. It does make decisions and sets the direction. But the head cares. The head loves. The head treats. The head's not like, here, I'm going to smash my thumb with a hammer. <laughs> no, no, no. The head doesn't do that. And the men are ordained to be the head. I like some people say sometimes that the wife is the neck. And I think that that's true because the, head, the neck turns the head. Amen. <laughs> Wherever it wants to go. But, but the wife is the neck. And here's the thing. When there's a head with a broken neck, the body is paralyzed. When there's disagreement between the neck and the head, the body doesn't work properly. There has to be agreement. There ha- they have to walk together. And how does that happen? I want, to tell, I want to share a phrase with you. I hope this doesn't trigger some of you. But here's the phrase. Submission is how we accomplish the mission. Submission is how we accomplish the mission. You say, what do you mean? Ephesians chapter number five. The Bible says that we submit one to another. And all God's people said, Amen. What that means is there are times when I need to submit to my wife in some ways. If she needs help. I said, if, come on, ladies. Somebody say amen. If she needs help. Amen. amen. Yeah, that's right. Do the laundry. <laughs> Sometimes I need, to, I need to come to her and come to terms there. But there are other times where she needs to submit to me. And the Bible says these things. If you read Ephesians chapter number five, you can learn more in detail about what the Bible says about husbands and wives and children and our roles in the home. But listen, if we want to have harmony and cooperation, there needs to be submission. It can't be my way or the highway. Are you listening this morning? If you have a my way or the highway house, your kids aren't going to want to be there. If we want that loving, joyful, peaceful home, we must walk in agreement. We cannot have divided homes. Mom and dad, if there is constant angry division in the home, you're going to lose the hearts of your kids. We must have agreement. Not only must there be cooperation, we touched on this, but I'll get into it a little bit more here. And like I said, this is a little bit of a tough pill to swallow, but it's biblical. If we're going to have harmony in our homes, there must be submission. There must be. Ephesians 5.22 tells us this. There must be submission. Ephesians chapter 5, the whole chapter. You say, what do you mean by that? Okay, men in the home, we, are, we submit to Christ. 
And all God's men said, Amen. Amen. It starts with us. We submit to Christ. If Christ says to do it, if God says to do it, we do it. If he says not to do it, we don't do it. We must first. How can we expect, Brother Paul, how can I expect my kids to submit to what I'm saying? If I don't submit to God, he's my authority. He's my authority. There must be submission there. And then in the home, as the husband is the head, the wife is submissive to her husband. Parents, have your kids ever looked at you like you were from Mars? How many parents know what I'm talking about? They're like, what? Have your kids ever looked at you like you were born last night? You're trying to explain them something. You're trying to teach them something, and they're like, they don't believe you. It's like, listen, I've been through this. I know what I'm talking about. I'm trying to help you here. If you touch that, it's going to burn your finger. If you put the fork in the light socket, you're not going to like it. And if you try to get the toast out with the, with the, with the metal butter knife, you're not going to. We try to teach them, and they look at you like you're crazy. How many know what I'm talking about? Sometimes I'll see my kids, I'll be trying to, it's like they try to pull one over on me. And I tell my kids, you know, I was born at night, but I wasn't born last night. Right? And listen, I understand that, that when I was a kid, I, I actually, my parents are sitting here, so I hate to talk about this. But when I was a kid, I actually tried to pull over one of my parents once in a while, believe it or not. And here's what I did. I don't know what kind of home you grew up in, but if I really wanted something I knew I wasn't supposed to have, I waited till my dad was watching Star Trek. <laughs> Some of you, your dad was a football. You know what I'm talking about? He's really not paying attention. And then you kind of sneak up and like, hey, dad, how you doing? Oh, good, son, good. And he's watching his show. And hey, dad, uh, is there any way I can build a fort in the garage? Yeah, sure, yeah, you can build a fort in the garage. Great. Yeah, out of car parts of, uh, from the car. Uh, yeah, okay, sure. Yeah, and then can I light it on fire to see what happens? Can I see what happens if I light it on fire? Yeah, sure, son, just go ask your mom. How many know what I'm talking about? And then you go ask the mom. And what's the first thing that you say when you go ask your mom? Dad said I could take the car apart and build a fort in the garage and then light it on fire to see what it, he said I could do it. But you see, what happens in situations like that, and I'm using a silly illustration, but these things happen all the time. What? You said what? And these disagreements happen, and those are formed, and then the neck disagrees with the head, and the head is frustrated with the neck, and the body's paralyzed. Can I ask you a question? What happens when the neck and the head are in disagreement? Guess who's in charge? The kids are in charge. Isn't that true? Can I tell you something? If the kids are in charge, you're in big trouble. Big trouble. The kids should never call the shots in the home. It's not the biblical design. I had somebody tell me one time, I, they were visiting our church and, and they were growing. And I had somebody tell me one time, oh, we're not coming back because our teenagers don't want to go there. I thought, your home is cursed. Because in the Bible, when the kids run the home, the home is cursed. Parents, let me tell you something. There are going to be times your kids don't want to do what's right. You make them do it. I tell my sons all the time, they're sitting right here. They love me so much. Don't you guys love me? I love these guys so much, but they know, they know the switch is a privilege. If you don't know what the switch is, it's a game thing. It's a privilege. This food that your mom's making for you, that's a right, but she makes it really good. That's a privilege. Hot water. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just saying, don't let the kids run the home. Here's what happens. All right. I know I'm I'm taking a long time. My third point is so fast. You're not even going to believe it, but here's what happens in the home. The neck and the head disagree, and the body's paralyzed. But when the neck and the head agree and they come together, dad says yes, mom says that's right. Or mom says no, and dad doesn't say, come on. No, the dad says she's right. She means no, it means no. Mom says no, it means no. When the head and the neck come together, you're going to teach your kids how to obey and how to respond 
to authority. How many of you see what's going on in our country today? 16-year-olds throwing rocks at police officers? Are you kidding me? Are you joking me right now? There's a problem with authority. It begins in the home. Some of you may not agree with me on that, but that's okay. This is the kind of coalition that God established in the home. This wasn't a church's idea. This wasn't the Baptists or Catholics or Presbyterians' idea. This was God's idea, the home. By the way, this might offend you, (laughs) and I'm sorry, but when the head and the neck are connected properly, the arm works really good. (laughs) All right, I'll move on. That might have went over better like in Texas or something, but my parents, they'll tell you that they were not perfect. I will admit to you, my wife would admit to you, we make mistakes every day. We're not perfect. There are no perfect people. There are no perfect families. Most families at some level have issues and problems that they have to be dealt with. But I am who I am today, not because I'm something. Forget about that. I am who I am today because I had parents who made some choices and worked together and said, this is what we're going to do, and this is not what we're going to do. And that's the kind of home that we must have if we want the heart to be there. By the way, as a matter of, matter of encouragement, maybe you're here today and you're thinking in your mind, why are my kids not doing what I train them to do? Why are they not following? And can I just encourage you with this thought? Think about the parable of the prodigal son. There were two sons in that story. One son kept working, did what his father taught him to do. One son acted like the fool. Both sons came from the same set of parents. And may I just say today to you, every young person has to make their own choice. You can do your best and you pray and you do your best and you pray. But, but it, there's no perfect, well, if I would have been more this way, or if I would have thought, if I would have, listen, just pray for him and let God take care of that. And all God's people said, amen. I know, I know that that hurts, but, but we ought to remember that you have, people make their own choices. We communicate to our spouse and to our children that we really believe home is where our heart is when we choose to serve the Lord, when we choose to walk in agreement. Joshua chose to serve the Lord. Joshua chose to bring his family along with him. And one more thing that Joshua did, and like I said, this is a very short short point here, but it's so profound. I see here that Joshua made a covenant with the people, and we need to make a covenant in our homes. You say, what are you talking about? Go to Joshua chapter 24. Look at verse 25. I'm almost finished today. Look at verse 25. So Joshua made a what? Covenant. That means a promise with the people that day. And he set them a statute, an ordinance in Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law and took a great stone. I'll talk about big rock here. He took a great stone and he set it up under an oak. And that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said unto the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness unto us. For it hath heard all the words of the Lord which have been spoken unto us, and it shall be therefore a witness unto you, lest ye what? Deny your God. You see, what happened was, is Joshua stood up in front of the people, and he said, you need to make a decision. Are you going to serve God now that we're going into the promised land? Are you going to serve God, or are you going to serve somebody else? And the people responded. They said, we want to serve God. And Joshua, and I know I'm paraphrasing this much here, but Joshua says, are you sure? 
Are you sure this is what you want to do? Because you're saying you're going to serve God. And the people responded again and said, we want to serve the Lord. And Joshua said, then here's what we're going to do. We're going to make a covenant today. We are going to set this in stone. And in our lives, there are some decisions we need to set in stone. I remember as a young person going to youth conference, camps, things of that nature. Many of you have done that. And every time you go to camp, Brother Asprelli, what do they have at the altar? They have what? Decision slips. I'm glad you got that answer right. They're a little piece of paper. And as a teenager, and I was a youth pastor for a while, I would tell the teenagers, I'd say, guys, I said, man, if God is working on your heart, man, he wants you to be a missionary, or he wants you to do this or whatever, I always tell them, I said, get out a decision slip and write it down so that you what? You remember the decision you made. Of course, teenagers, they never keep it. They lose them. And then they make the decision next year <laughs> at conference again. But it's important because you take that decision slip, and sometimes I've seen, I've seen teenagers' Bibles, and they have decision slips from two, three, five years ago. But why do you do that? You wrote, you wrote it down. Why? Because you're making a covenant with God. I'm making a decision, an important decision. And Joshua says, this stone right here, this is a testimony that this is what you decided. Here's the thought, and I'll just close with this thought today. 2020 is almost over. And all God's people said, amen, see ya. (laughs) 2020 is almost over. Only a few more weeks. It's been an interesting year. 2020 is just around the corner. A clean slate, a brand new year. Maybe there's some decisions you need to set in stone for 2021. I don't know what those decisions are for you. I don't know what those choices are. I know this, the Holy Spirit can teach us the decisions we need to make. And maybe right now in your heart, husband, wife, teenager, single parent, whoever you are, maybe in your heart right now, God is saying, you need to do this. This is a decision you need to make. Make a covenant. Make a covenant. I'm not suggesting you go get a great big rock and bring it into your living room. That's not what I'm saying. But maybe write it down. Make a covenant. Maybe share with somebody. Maybe tell someone. Say, I want to make this decision. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And set that decision in stone. I want to have a home where the heart wants to be. I want my kids to grow up and I want them to want to come back home. I want my wife to feel like our home, that's where the heart is. I want want my home to be where the heart is. So there's a few things that we need to do. We need to make a choice. Amen? We need to walk in agreement with each other. And then we need to make some covenants. We need to set some things in stone. Every head bowed and every eye closed today.